I guess what I'm saying is this, that in, in response to that cultural pressure that you need to get married in order to be a full person, Christianity has always said, no, you don't. You don't have to, right? It, it offers an option that says there's a different way to be. There's a higher calling and a different goal and purpose in life. You're playing by a different set of, or a different agenda than the person who says, well, this is what my culture says I need to do. I think that's also very powerful. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Great to have you with us once again this week. I'm with, here with Pastor Nick Katie. He's the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, we're in our series again, Grace and Truth, as we're going through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and uh, just some great stuff that we've already looked into. We've got to chapter 6 now, chapter 6, verse 12, through chapter 7, verse 9, and you can find that at whitefieldschurch.com on the title of today's, uh, uh, the message was, uh, Why Does God Care What I Do With My Body? And uh, very, very good stuff. Uh, good stuff. If you missed it on Sunday, whitefieldschurch.com, you download it there, or any of your favorite streaming platforms, YouTube, Facebook. We're all over the place. And if you would, just like, subscribe, you know, give us a thumbs up, write a review. Uh, you know, any kind of uh, conversation we have over these topics really helps just kind of boost us in the algorithm. And uh, it, you know, when people are asking questions about these things, we can provide them with Christ-centered and gospel-centered content. So if you do that, certainly help us out. And also, we just want to hear from you and, uh, you know, see if, who's engaging with this and whether or not it's blessing you. And if you, if it does, just Go ahead and share it. And so we find ourselves here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and then into chapter 7 looking at kind of the principles of marriage and um, some of the things that Paul Paul was talking about. And, you know, one of the questions that kind of, you know, I, I have been thinking through as well is, you know, what do you think like in this day and age that that the church has kind of placed too much emphasis on the the need the need to for people to get married yeah um i do think that they have now on the one hand we got to remember that the bible says a lot of really good things about marriage right it talks about it in the first two chapters a bunch and it says that as kind of the pinnacle of creation God created human beings, said that they're very good, but that it wasn't good for the man to be alone. So he made a partner suitable for him. And then um, he looks at her and says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They become partners. And they says that they became one flesh, right? They, they left the father and mother. Of course, these two didn't have father and mother. But it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two become one flesh. And then that Actually, that verse is repeated throughout the Bible. It's repeated here in the text we look at today. It was repeated by Jesus uh, when he was preaching. So we also know that the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Right? It talks about these sorts of things. The fact is that statistically in the West, 80 to 90% of people will be married at least at some point in their life. But that also means that 100% of people will at some point in their life be single. And that's also really interesting because, you know, Jesus was single, never sought to be married. Now you could get into why. Was it because he knew that he came to die? I think so. Was it because he was homeless and, and was an itinerant preacher? I think that has a big part of it. Um, it. Was it because he was focused on his mission? Absolutely. 
Uh, we know that Paul the Apostle was a single man. It's interesting because there's some evidence that would suggest that he was not always single, that he was actually married. That evidence has to do with the fact that he was part of, according to the book of Acts, um, the Jewish council, which is called Sanhedrin. And to be a member of that, you had to be married. It was one of, to be a Jewish person in right standing as an adult, you had to be married. And I think that we've adopted some of that. You know, to think about that, wait a second, why did they have to be married? Is that an extra biblical thing? And it certainly was, it's cultural. And I think that in evangelical culture um, or Protestant subculture, you know, we have become, uh, in some ways, we, we've picked up some things which aren't necessarily biblical. They're cultural, doesn't mean they're bad or good, but we need to critique our culture and we need to go back to the Bible and kind of circle back and say, okay, what we're doing, what we're emphasizing, is it good? Is it biblical? Um, you know, I read something interesting. It said that in the early 20th century, there were writings um, to Protestant evangelical churches saying that they were not focusing enough on marriage, that they were too much uh, emphasizing or glorifying singleness. I think that the pendulum has swung since then. I think there are a lot of reasons for it. I think some of them um, have had to do with politics, um, but not only politics, right? Um, so we've come to this place where there is definitely a big emphasis on marriage in a way that seems like um, let's say if you were a single person in a Christian church today, and I've heard this from single friends, adult single people, have said that they often feel left out, right? They'll join a community group and it'll be all couples and then they're like the one single person. And the other option is, I guess I go to the singles group where they feel like they've been kind of relegated, right, to the kids table, if you will, or that the singles group exists so that single people can stop being single and get married, um, and there can be this thing like, you know, here's what you do in life. You go to school and then as soon as you get out of school, people start drilling you all the time. Hey, when are you getting married? Hey, is there anybody that you like? Now, this is true not, not only in the church, it's true outside of the church, but I think that as a church, we need to be sensitive to it, that what we communicate through the questions we ask, the, the, the words that we use, think about it. If we talk about family picnics, well, is there room in there for a single person? Um, what are we communicating? And as I said on Sunday, we need to emphasize what the Bible teaches, which is that you can absolutely be a single person and have a completely fulfilled life because the, the purpose of life, the pinnacle of existence is not to find a spouse and get married, right? It's to walk with the Lord, know the Lord, fulfill his purpose and calling for your life. That is the goal and the, the, the thing that we're seeking after uh, not just getting married. And like I said on Sunday, it's if it helps you to run the race that God has set before you, then good. But if it doesn't help you, then it's, it's definitely not like a biblical command. It's not uh, something that um, you need to feel bad about. I, I just think that we as a church, we need to be a place where, you know, Paul can say at one point in his life, I am who I am by the grace of God. There's a difference between complacency and contentment. Contentment says, where I am in this moment, I receive this as God's will for my life. Now, it might change in the future. And maybe I want it to change. Maybe I'm pursuing that. Like, I remember there was a time in my life when I just had no money, none at all. And I remember being challenged by Paul's words, which in Philippians, he's literally talking about not having any money and saying, 
I have learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. Now, that doesn't mean when you say I'm content, I receive this as God's place for me, that I'm never going to try to change my situation or that it's bad to wish that I wasn't broke. Um, It just means that I'm going to accept this place I'm in right now as God's will for my life. And I'm going to seek to serve him in this place and receive what are all the benefits that come from being in this situation that I'm in. And, you know, what are the unique opportunities that I have in the midst of this, etc. So all that to say, yeah, I do think there has been an overemphasis on it. I can think of some examples of that that we could talk about a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, let me kick it back to you. Well, you know, I, and one of the things that came to mind, you know, when you're talking about, you know, our, our church, you know, churchies, your Christianese, you know, you know, you always talk about there's two very the most two most important uh, uh, decisions you can make in your life, and that's your salvation and who you're going to marry. I mean, I've heard that probably so many times, especially in youth circles, college career groups, or whatever. It's like they're always like paired together, like your salvation and who you're going to marry. You know, and and you know, so you're right that in some ways there's that you know kind of overarching thing. Like if that's the that's the standard I need to reach, it's like okay, I'm saved now. Now I need to find my partner. And, you know, Paul Paul kind of is, especially in Corinthians, I think, uh, you know, one of the things you brought up in the very first chapter was a phrase, you see, we have a higher calling in Jesus. And I think when you look at, um, you know, marriage, marriage is a great thing, but we have a higher calling. And mm-hmm. if marriage is not something that, that you're going to be called into, then you have something greater that God has called you too. And, and marriage is not the end all. And, you know, maybe that's something that we have to, you know, as pastors and teachers have to communicate more and more to the church, you know, to, because, you know, we were discussing beforehand, there have been some unfortunate situations where, you know, the kind of pressure, you know, we were, I I was telling you that, you know, I could name three couples that I knew where they, they felt pressure from their parents and, and pressure from the church to get married. And well, now, you know, they got married and they're Christians now, so the pool of people that they can choose from is much smaller. And so, and they literally told me, you know, on their way to divorce court, you know, that, well, I married him because he was a Christian. And, uh, you know, you had that that pressure. There was, you know, that I needed, because that's what, marriage is the next thing. I'm saved, now I get married. And so, you know, that's kind of what we're trying to avoid through this situation. Yeah, that idea of having a higher calling, I think, is really important. That uh, the highest calling in life is not to be married. Um, marriage is an ends to a mean, or mean to an end, means to an end. It's not the end in itself. It's not the end goal. Right, like I was talking about on Sunday, like, um, you know, if you're running a race, you want, if there's something that can help you run that race, then good. But it doesn't need to be. But I would say this, it's not just in, um, it's not just in Christian subculture that this exists. I was thinking about some cases, particularly in Hungary, where we used to live, where um, there was a cultural pressure that you need to get married. And there was like a unwritten rule that you need to do it by a certain age. And if you didn't, oh man, it was like, you're, you're almost like, oh, you're considered odd or like what's wrong with you, etc. if you haven't done it. And so here's what I saw is that um, there were people in our church and they look around in the church 
they didn't see anybody that they liked. They, you know, maybe they went to some other conferences or something like that, trying to find out if they could find somebody and they didn't. So you know what they did? They said, okay, well, I still believe in Jesus, but I'm just going to go and live a worldly life. I'm going to not follow Jesus, not be involved in church anymore. I'm going to go out to literally, I'm not even exaggerating, bars, clubs, etc., where people meet each other so I can meet somebody because the pinnacle of existence, like I would be missing out if I just followed Jesus, if that meant I would never get married. So instead of following Jesus, I'll go find somebody who's not a believer. I'll compromise on that thing. And then maybe later in life when I have a kid or something, I'll be able to bring my kid to church. And then they often do, right? Which is like, where's your spouse? You got married. Oh, well, yeah, he's not a believer. He's not coming. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people are in that situation and I know from talking to them, it's very hard. I guess what I'm saying is this, that in, in response to that cultural pressure that you need to get married in order to be a full person, Christianity has always said, no, you don't. You don't have to, right? It, it offers an option that says there's a different way to be. There's a higher calling and a different goal and purpose in life. You're playing by a different set of, or a different agenda than the person who says, well, this is what my culture says I need to do. I think that's also very powerful, you know, that we can say, look to Jesus and you have a different mission in life other than just finding somebody and getting married. Yeah, and the irony is is that you speak to a lot of married couples and they say, well, the reason why, you know, that, that have very successful marriages and the reason why I say, well, my spouse loves God more than they love me, you know, and that's kind of those that kind of you know, obviously when they got together, they weren't necessarily looking for each other. They were looking for the Lord and the Lord brought them together. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good principle to have is to have, you know, your love for the Lord and then love for people and then let God take care of, of those details. And uh, it is a, it is a very nuanced and very complex question and not something we can probably cover. Well, <laughs> I, will, I will say this. Meeting. One of the things I often encourage people about is to say this. I think the best basis for a marriage is what I would it's a kind of phrase I coined for myself. Maybe somebody else already did it before me, but I call it spiritual friendship. And I base it a little bit off of, you know, C.S. Lewis had this book he wrote, Four Loves. And one of those, he talks about how friendship works. And he says, friendship happens. He said, look, the posture of lovers is that they look into each other's eyes and they say, I'm infatuated with you. But he said the posture of friendship is not two people looking into each other's eyes, infatuated with each other, but it's two people standing side by side, looking at a third thing and talking about how much they love that thing. And then they look over at each other and they say, oh, you too. I never realized. I thought I was the only one. And that was kind of what I described on Sunday with my whole thing with Rosemary and how we got together is that that was the basis for our friendship. We both were interested and devoted to something other than each other. And that became the basis for what I would call a spiritual friendship, which I would agree, uh, which, which I would argue is the best foundation for a marriage or a romantic relationship is when you say, we both love the Lord. We're both pursuing these things. And hey, since we're doing that, we could do that together. We could be a team. I think that that is a very strong foundation, very much like what you're saying. I think that when you meet people who have that, um, they're, they're, essentially their marriage has a mission to it and a calling beyond the marriage itself. And that, I think, is super powerful. Now, that brings up another question that comes to mind just 
thinking about East and West and the function of marriage within societies, would you think that uh, in our Western culture, the self-fulfillment issue where marriage is, is something I need to fulfill myself compared to, you would say, like, a Jewish wedding or, or uh, Arab wedding or those kind of things, there is a function to, to the marriage for raising family, for working, for, you know, working a farm, for doing, you know, there's this that functional element to it as well as the romantic side, whereas we've almost in a sense taken the function out of marriage in the Western culture. And, and, and as you said, it's we're doing something together, looking at something else where Western marriage, and we're talking Christian, non-Christian, it's about my... Self, I need to be fulfilled in this marriage. Do you think that plays into it a lot? Oh, hugely. I mean, yeah, I think you're really hitting on something important here is that this is a part of the big problem that we see in the West with marriage is that marriage has no mission beyond self-fulfillment. So if I don't feel fulfilled anymore as I once did, well, then what's the point, right? I might as well like if that's the highest goal in life is self-fulfillment as opposed to another mission, then I'm going to choose self-fulfillment at the expense of my family, at the expense of my spouse, at the expense of anything. So I think that what you're hitting on is massively important. Yeah, what came to my mind when I was thinking about that, when you were just talking about individuals, I remember I was at a wedding and, you know, many times in a wedding, there's the lighting of the candles. You know, they, they light the, they have two candles and then they light the middle one and then they blow the two candles out, you know, that signifying two becoming one. Well, this couple had decided they wanted to keep those two outside candles burning as mm-hmm. a sign that, yes, we're married, but we're still two individuals. individuals. And I was like, hmm, mm. I'm not quite sure if they kind of got the two becoming one or, you know, yeah, you know, I can't even think now of of the outcome. I, you know, whether they are still married or not. But I thought that's, you know, that's kind of a, that what we're talking about, kind of self fulfillment. Like I'm going, I'm going. We're married. We're in this together, but we're still separate people. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, you know, it doesn't quite fit the picture of what mm-hmm. God had, you know, set out for marriage. So, but yeah, a lot of stuff to, to think through. You know, do you have any pushback on this? You yeah. know, of what we talked about uh, today. It's a it's a huge complex topic and not to be covered in the. 15 minutes of discussion, but just something worth thinking about as we, we you know, you, we look at marriage and we just think the implications, the pressures that go into all these kind of things. And maybe you're at that place right now, you're feeling pressure to, to be married, you know, and maybe God's saying, you, he, you know, he has a higher calling for your life and he's going to take care. Seek first his kingdom and those things shall be added unto you. And and uh, that's just a great principle to live by and a spiritual principle to live by in life. So, hey, you've got pushback, you got some, you know, let's have a discussion on this. It'd be interesting to hear what you have to say on this topic. And if you missed the sermon on Sunday, whitefieldschurch.com, you can download it there. And we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.